You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Hello, welcome back to the TV Obsessive podcast. This is episode 16, um, and my name is Ryan Kirksey, writer, contributor for tvobsessive.com. And today, once again, I'm joined by Cameron Crane, the executive editor for tvobsessive.com. Uh, considering what we're talking about today, Cameron, when was the last time you wore a suit or had a drink at work? Oh, oh I mean, I've, I've been working from home, so <laughs> I haven't had a drink. I haven't had a drink. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, no, so not that. I don't know the last time I wore a suit was. I've worn a suit pretty, I mean, pretty recently. I mean, I'm in the office a lot, so I mean, semi-recently, but uh, it's been been a while since I snuck a drink at work. Yeah, right. I always think, I mean. Madmen, they're drinking, they're drinking, they're smoking. <laughs> a lot. They're, yeah, they're drinking and smoking, doing advertising. Oh, the, the, the good old days, the good old days. Absolutely. I mean, but also not. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, Mad Men today. We're going to talk about season four, episode seven. The Suitcase was one of my choices for standout episodes or carved in the mountain, Mount Rushmore of uh you know, I was thinking that right. Also, like we're each choosing four, and we're not going to overlap on purpose. So, <laughs> That's right. That's you know, right. like whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, theoretically, right? They could go replace a face on Mount Rushmore because they really wanted to, right? I mean, we're gonna have like a Janice face, Mount Rushmore. We're gonna do both sides of the mountain <laughs> for four episodes on each side or something like that. That works. That works. Yeah. Um, so we're going to dig into that in the latter half of uh, the pod. First, as usual, you want to talk about some things that have been going on this week in the news. Uh, it's October 3rd. What caught your eye this week, Ryan? Yeah, well, we're starting to see uh, results of the writer strike officially coming to an end and some things coming back to normal. A couple things that I think we'll touch on here. Number one is that the first things that come back are, are the talk shows. A lot of the four big late night guys came back. Uh, or are in the process of coming back this week. Uh, daytime talk shows are coming back. Um, and then um, I think this has sort of spurred a, a sag after a meeting happening very soon. So which one of those you want to touch on first? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the sag after I think they're meeting, I think they have met yesterday. Today's Tuesday. So I think they met on Monday. I don't know if they're meeting today, but it's like they're, I, they're going to meet again at least yeah. so maybe they are meeting today and hopefully there's some some movement on there at least my fingers are crossed that given that the wga came to a deal and or the mtptb came to a deal with them um that that provides a framework and this will go pretty fast but who knows yeah yes. yes um the late night talk shows cool yeah i, I realized uh uh john oliver came back and I and I do I generally do watch that one, but I'm so out of the habit I haven't watched it yet. Um, and I think uh, I think I did read he was talking about the strikes and things like this. So it's a weird middle space because the because the actors are still on strike, they cannot go on these shows to promote their projects, which is yeah. often a lot of what happens on these talk shows. Um, they can, as I understand it, uh, theoretically go on the show and not talk about their projects. Um, which might happen some. I think I saw I saw a list of upcoming guests on these shows, and Bob Odenkirk was on there um, for one of them. I don't remember oh, which Bob one. Bob Odenkirk, okay. Right. I don't remember which one. But, you know, okay. like, 
Bob Odenkirk may just well go on and talk about the strike. <laughs> that might be what happens yeah. there, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but they've got some musicians and, you know, you can have other types of um, celebrities and, and whatnot. Uh, and, yeah, get that going again. And the writers are back to work. Did you, um, did you have the chance to look at some of the details of the deal the WGA got? I, I did. I did look at some of those um, some of those details, and I was most curious about obviously the parts related to the to the AI, right? So there's a lot of pay structure stuff, pay compensation, writer room sizes, but there was there was a good amount in there about not only the uh, the use of I guess prohibiting for the most part the use of AI generated content to script a show, but also if writers are brought in to work on a show, they must be informed ahead of time that they are being given content that was produced by by AI. Which I you know I don't understand how they're getting away with any of this stuff, but I mean obviously all collectively bargained. There was just very very interesting things that you know certainly a few years ago we wouldn't even have thought of. Yeah, because this AI so called is so kind of fresh still, you know. Yeah, but I thought the protections in there seemed pretty good. Um, AI cannot write. You know, right. um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of a, a tagline on it. But I don't know. It, it's out there. People want to look into it. I would recommend, like, the WGA themselves put something out. Go look at that. That's what mm-hmm. I did. You know, um, speaking of AI, uh, that we were talking right before we <laughs> came on here with the Toy Story football, which I guess you didn't watch. You weren't even aware of it. I, I I was not aware of, and I don't I don't know how I missed it, but somehow I have uh, I was totally oblivious to the AI generated Toy Story football game that was running parallel to the Sunday morning game in London. Yeah, so maybe other people are too. We can still talk about this uh, briefly, but it, so if people don't know what they did on Sunday morning, there's a football game in London, uh, Jaguars versus the Atlanta Falcons, and they did a simulcast that was in the style of Toy Story. Um, I said, you know, we were mentioning AI that was heavily involved in animating this, you know, second to second. And apparently it wasn't perfect or anything like that, but they had um, like computer chips and the shoulder pads of the players. And I don't know how I feel about this. On the one hand, it seemed kind of cool in a way. And on the other hand, part of me could grumpy old man and like, it's using AI. How do you feel about this? I, I was going to ask you: Is this in, in any way poor taste? Just sort of what's going on right now? Is this Disney saying, "Hey, we could even replace the athletes on the field that we wanted to"? <laughs> you know, I just I don't know. This is sort of a stick a you know stick it in the side of people that are fighting for the for these rights. But I just found it to be a little bit odd in the timing. Yeah, I have I have mixed feelings. I think because I've spent so much time recently, in particular, being kind of angry about abuses of this technology (laughs) but i'm not entirely sure this is one of those like i think maybe this is um a fun nifty little thing that we could do with it and i don't know that it's really it's not stealing jobs from human beings there's no way on earth you could have human beings animate yeah um on the fly like this really um so i i don't know yeah, I just don't know. And, I, I, I prefer the give me, give me the Nickelodeon like slime cam instead of the the Toy Story animated football. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't know if they'll do this more. It's just like kind of a gimmick <laughs> thing, but I mean, hey, you know, I I saw some people saying like their kids were really into it, and then you know, 
maybe it's like getting kids into football and uh, okay, I guess. Yeah. You know, but um, that's kind of where I land. Okay, I guess. But yeah. I wasn't interested in watching it either. I just don't know that I have a strong objection <laughs> to what they were doing, really. Yeah. I have a hard enough time waking up early Sunday morning to watch a, a regular NFL game, even though I, I love it. So I'm probably not going to wake up and watch a Toy Story animated version. Oh, right. Because it's even earlier for you. Yeah. So yeah. They should, why do they – they should play just play these games later. <laughs> I don't know. I don't they, know. They they want to put it on in the like super added early window. Yeah. So for me, it's nine thirty a.m. I'm realizing for you, what seven thirty? Yeah, yeah. I think eight starts at eight thirty for me. Yeah. That's too yeah. early. Yeah. I think there's <laughs> something in the we're getting way in the weeds here, but I think there's something in the agreement about these games overseas will be put in a as an island game. You know, not prime time, obviously, but an island game that they can be watched by themselves. Yeah, it probably is in there. But I don't know, man. I, I know I'm a, a grumpy old man, and we'll move on if we're boring people. But I, I constantly think, too much football. There's a game every Thursday, too much. Get rid of those Thursday games. So they put all the games on Sunday and one game on Monday. Yeah. That's it. That's what I have time for. Um But, uh, okay, uh, what, what else do we have in the news here? Interesting um reboot news this week on a couple of different fronts let me start off with this news we're making the rounds here about the show blossom i know this was your favorite show growing up right we've talked about that at length yeah you love joey lawrence (laughs) um but to have to have the star of this show to have blossom herself come and say we want to reboot it but we're not going to reboot it as a sitcom we want to bring in sort of these deep issues alcoholism divorce grief and rebooted as something else uh is anybody gonna watch that i mean all i can say is i'm really curious <laughs> yeah but apparently they've been trying to get this going for a couple of years or so i read and yeah. um yeah it's probably part of the the hold up like hey we want to reboot blossom and execs go oh <laughs> great you mean yeah. like like the reboot of Frasier, you know, like kind of, but yeah. sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, and I don't know. I mean, like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of there for it. I'm kind of intrigued, yeah. you know, at least it would be something uh, sort of novel as opposed to some of these that seem to be instead just kind of trying to do the same thing without motivation. Like, what's up with that reboot of Night Court? Yeah. Just why? <laughs> just just why does it? I mean, you know, I, I think it's fine. Yeah. Why does it exist? Like why, it why it, no, because because two people from the original cast agreed to come back and do it. That's why it exists. Yeah, just like a money grab. People watch it, and yeah, I mean, I yeah. suppose that's fine, but it just seems bald faced. Like there's not really any artistic impetus for yeah. the Night Court reboot. No offense, you know, but it, it I, does it does seem yeah. like she does I, have one here, which is kind of intriguing to me. I would love to have been a fly on the wall, that pitch beating. Yes. Same thing you're saying. It's like, so what, what, what comedy writers are you bringing in out? The strike is over. Well, we're thinking more like, you know, the, um, the, the, this is us show, you know, we need those, get those guys and come in and write, <laughs> write this show, you know, just, I, I, I mean, Hey, like, like you said, it's a novel idea. I'm probably gonna check it out just because it's not going to be your cookie cutter Frasier or Nightcore or the one we're about to talk about here that, that might get, um rebooted so yeah it's an interesting idea in 
runs in parallel, but also in contrast to this rumor that's come out that that uh, there's the there's supposedly going to be a reboot of The Office, or at least someone's working on a reboot of The Office originally with Greg Daniels. Yeah, I don't understand this at all. Because I don't think it is originally with Greg Daniels even, because it was originally a British show. Yeah. yeah. I have to double check who. I mean, that was Ricky Gervais. Was it Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant writing the British show? I don't know. They wrote the show. they wrote the British show. They served as quote unquote executive producers for the American version, right? So yeah. they're supervising things. But yeah, very much a Greg Daniels product once it came once it came over over here. Yeah. But yeah. uh you know, this is still speculation, but kind of the I guess most smoke we've had on it in, in quite some time. Yeah. Speaking of um, what is the impetus for doing it other than dollars? Yeah. I don't get it. And my question would be, are Steve Carell and John Krasinski, who are now obviously mega, mega stars coming back for this thing, right? Even Rain Wilson and Jenna Fisher, are they coming back for this thing? Or is this a, we're going to focus on the other, on the folks, even Mindy Kaling or... Mm-hmm. Um, you know any of, the, any of these folks do they have any desire to come back and do this or is this sort of a watered down cast i mean i don't, I don't know the answer to these questions but it's you know so what is it what are they hoping it looks like i read this one as a reboot not a revival but maybe i'm wrong um, yeah I, the blossom I, I, one would be a revival technically right with the same actors and things like this but this would be a reboot uh, which would mean i think that they would just be doing the office over again with entirely new people and yeah. maybe those, maybe some of those old stars would make a cameo or yeah. something. But uh, I don't it kind of struck me as, I mean, a, a, just a straight reboot. I, I can tell you right now, I, w- I would not, I would not watch. It sort of struck me as, you know, how this, um, what was, what was the show that came out on Netflix? Fuller House, remember that? Yeah, came out with a couple of the kids as the stars, and then every once in a while, Bob Saget and John Stamos would come and make cameos. That's sort of what it struck me here, but yeah, if it's just a straight reboot with new new characters, no, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna watch that. I, don't, I mean, it's also it, it's the office is kind of fascinating. We're talking about the British version, yeah, which is fairly short, and then the American version, which could not sustain the <laughs> idea of the boss being so unlikable. Um, you know, it was like the very forces of television and American television, maybe in particular. Yep. Move things in the direction of Michael becoming more and more likable. Yep. You know, more and more sympathetic. So it's like we already saw the arc of how <laughs> that would how that would play out yep. in in a way. And then what what so it's almost like what what is the premise, you know? Because the original premise was okay, the working in an office sucks, and yep. particularly when you've got a narcissistic, incompetent boss. Right. I agree. There's plenty of, oh, we, it's funny and it's set in an office shows out there, right? You can obviously watch The Office. You can watch news radio. You can watch a lot of different things. I, mean, I don't understand if they're just going to try to absolutely beat for beat, reboot this with a, you know, with a quirky, cringy boss again. But then what's the point of doing it? Yeah, you can, just, you can still watch The Office. Yeah, I mean, come on. What, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> I was going to say it wasn't that long ago, but even if it was, I was going to watch I Love Lucy. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. What are we doing? What are we doing? Um, 
So, um, do you want to talk about naked attraction? Yeah, I just got. I got to find. Out. I got to. I, I got to put you in the lie detector. How many episodes of this have you watched, Cameron? I, I I've not seen any. I just heard of it the other day when I when I saw it was coming to Max. Uh, I I, uh, I also have seen zero episodes of this, but I have small children in the house, so there's uh, more more of an incentive for me to not not accidentally have this on. But this is I, I I'm just blown away that this is that this exists. You want to give us a summary of what what this show is. I mean, I guess it's a dating show, but the people are naked. I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't know about it. Yeah. I, I I mostly saw, you know, I think it's a British show, and I saw a number of people um, making comments like, you know, how kind of puritanical Americans are because we find mm-hmm. it shocking. And um, <clears throat> okay, fair. I don't know. Yeah. But like, <clears throat> is it? Uh, I don't know. You know, like, does it appeal to the prurient interest? because <laughs> you got, you've got people nude for some yeah. reason well know. if you're you know so, so inclined it is on max there are there are no shortage of think pieces out there as to you know should this exist how this works you know who who it benefits you know if you, whatever your your heart's desire for this show you can go find some some analysis on it but yeah if you're interested in a a new spin on dating shows where they pick people just based on their um nothing but their naked selves but is that i don't know if it is that though see now i'm I'm getting so curious <laughs> i almost feel like i have to take the homework assignment to yeah go, we're gonna we're gonna put go you on watch a little bit of uh naked attraction and, and report back on it or something um part of my hang-up is i'm not terribly interested in the dating shows in the first place yes yeah, exactly. <laughs> um anyhow uh, another news item and this will this can say a bit that uh, reading today, Jonathan Majors is going to be in Loki, the uh, second season of which premieres uh, in a couple days on Disney Plus. That they didn't reshoot anything, they didn't revise anything. I yeah, don't know how was, much he's in it to begin with, but that's this was, how much this he's is in an it. interesting piece of news here, and we'll be sure and post a link to to this. But an interesting piece of news, that, yeah, as Loki is scheduled to come out on Thursday, October fifth, something that I'll be watching and writing about for uh, for the site there was this big question coming in obviously the mcu has set up jonathan majors as this sort of keystone villain for the years ahead there's even a movie with his villain's name in it scheduled for three years down the road right so that he is in long long-term plans but after these allegations of uh, domestic abuse and some some onset things that have come out, you know, so this question of what would happen with him. So this article that you're referencing here says that, yes, he's in the show, which we knew that because he's been in some pieces of the trailers, but they did not add, remove, edit any of his any of his pieces in this new season of Loki. The, the way I read it, it seems like. They just didn't want to rock the boat anymore that's been rocked already with him um, in terms of what the future is going to be. But there's no decisions or definitive uh, direction on how he will be used in future projects. Right. Um, I guess with how they finished the season, the strike and sort of how they were able to work or not work on this, they decided to just let it ride with how he's in there, which is going to be a decent amount um, because, I mean, he is a draw or, or has been a draw. But what they do with him going forward is still remains the major question. And is it in this piece, nor does any other piece really answer that yet? Yeah. I don't know. The, the, the allegations are pretty serious. Yeah. Of course, he says, of course he says he's innocent. And, 
uh, I think the article that uh, I was reading had a you know comment from his lawyer and, and things like that, but um, it's pretty serious uh, allegations. Yeah. There's a domestic abuse, you know, strang strangle strangling her and things like this. I mean, it's a you yeah. know. Uh, you know, and I mean, I guess um, fair enough that they're saying, well, this isn't resolved. You know, perhaps he is innocent and we're going to yeah. not change things and let the legal process play out, which and all, I don't... all of which feels very like 1990s to me. Whereas <laughs> for the past few years, it's been like, no, um, you know, we're going to make a final season of House of Cards and Kevin Spacey isn't going to be in it, you know, just pulling the ripcord of, of getting rid of people exactly uh, and i don't know if you've seen some of these things that have come out so you know, there have been videos that have leaked on social media leaked quote unquote with like john amazers out in public like breaking up a fight and being really nice to people who are looking for an autograph right so just sort of these this pr campaign that's going on around about him right now just i mean just clearly trying to position himself as a as a good guy as these trials are going to begin sometime in the next the next few months but but yeah th this is a messy messy thing that i mean yeah. marvel can make a decision to to recast him but i just think they're waiting for see waiting for this to play out before they before they make that call yeah which again maybe that's fair enough i'm, I'm a little disturbed by it i'm perfectly honest you know but i don't know um hopefully the show is good uh and uh we'll go from there and see what happens in terms of the allegations against him and yeah. you know, how this all plays out. Right? I mean, I will so, say for those for those that are curious, season one was quite good. Probably, I mean, I don't think this is this is not a hot take. It, it is definitively the best MCU show that exists. Uh, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson as a pairing are incredible together. Add in Jonathan Majors, whatever you feel about him, and then this season also adds Kihui Kwan after his. Academy Award-winning performance and everything everywhere all at once, and you've got a good, a good crew for the show. So we're gonna see it starts on Thursday. Well, yeah. Um, let's see what else. Uh, you got the you've got the finale of Ahsoka coming up. Yeah, Ahsoka. It is. You know that plane is gonna land one way or the other. You know it's uh <laughs> there's there's some turbulence ahead. We'll see if they can avoid it or not. Um, yes, Ahsoka finale tonight. Tuesday night. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so we haven't seen this yet. But there's uh, a lot of things I think that they still have to do in this in this finale. Um, I will be writing on this for the site coming up in the next day or so. But you know, it's it's something where this this plane is certainly going to land. We'll see how much turbulence happens along the way between now and then. But it's it's a show where they are setting up clearly what's going to happen in future shows, in future movies, things that have been announced. Characters are being positioned in places it, that almost, in a way, and I'll save some of this for the for the recap. But you have to think about sort of how you feel about the stakes of this show, knowing what's been announced, where these characters are going to go in the future, right? So there's not going to be a finality to a lot of characters, not going to be a finality to a lot of the stories, um, because we know some of the things that are coming. Um, and they also are at a point where they've got a difficult decision to make. You know, this is you know not certainly a spoiler for anything on the show, but one of the characters on the show has has passed away uh, since since film With wraps. The actor, then, right. Ray yeah, the actor. Yeah, Which Ray is a bummer. I always liked Ray Stevenson. And yeah, and, he, and he, like, is, you know. he is truly phenomenal on this show and one of the more mysterious, interesting characters that they're setting up in a very good way. So I wonder what this finale will do. I fear that it will position him as something, a very, very interesting story that they won't then be able to continue. 
But yeah, they've got some tough, tough decisions to make. But this is very much a, I think, a setting the stage show. Um, so I'm curious where the finale ends up. Uh, but that happens tonight. Well, yeah, no, I like Ray Stevenson. Uh, it's a bummer that he he passed away relatively recently. Um, so yeah, just back just back in May, actually. Yeah, so that's a shame if they we kind of cuts off the thing. Um, no, let's, let's get to Mad Men. I was thinking about mentioning Detroiters. I guess I just did. You ever watch Detroiters? <laughs> Never. Do you know what it is? Yeah, I have no idea what Detroiters it's, is. It's an older show. It was on two seasons on Comedy Central and got canceled. It's uh, Tim Robinson of uh, I Think ah. You Should Leave fame and uh, Sam Richardson, who people might also be familiar with. And it's like a say, it's kind of like a sitcom sort of thing. They have, okay. they have an advertising agency in Detroit, um, which ah. is, you know, I don't know. I've, I've been kind of. I've been slowly watching that, and I was watching an episode or two this week, and then I thought, well, I could mention that as something I'm watching, and then we talk about Mad Men. Yeah. Which is, like, totally different in its tone <laughs> and style. And, and on Detroiters, they're doing things like they're making these low-budget advertisements for local wig companies and stuff like that. You know? I was there. Are they wearing, like, instead of suits and, and hats, they're wearing, like, dickies and, you know, working, working on cars and stuff? Uh, I mean, they just, they're not usually wearing suits. Yeah, they're usually just dressed <laughs> casually, and, and uh, you know, but it, it's pretty funny. Do you do you um, enjoy? I think you should leave. Have you watched that? Or I have seen some of that. Yes, yes, found that quite good. So, so I mean, there's some similarity in the humor. I think with uh, Tim Robinson of it all. Um, but okay, so we'll get into Mad Men and. Uh, so first, we'll, we'll take a little break, as per usual, and then on the other side of this, spoilers are on the table for Mad Men, I guess potentially through this episode, Season 4, Episode 7. I'm going to avoid bringing in things that happen later. Ryan hasn't seen the whole show. And I can't I can't spoil things beyond this episode. So, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to talk about like the <laughs> finale of the series here. Oh, okay. Um, I'll hold off on that, you know. And then we'll spoil it for Ryan. Um, I think this episode stands alone pretty well, actually. Uh, we'll talk about some other, you know, some bit about the context and the background. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll come in. But uh, yeah, so I'll hold off on spoilers for anything that happens after this. Um, but definitely spoilers on the table for the suitcase and anything that happened in the previous, <clears throat> sorry, in the previous three and a half seasons of Mad Men before this. So. Uh, okay, as per usual, we'll take about 10 seconds and we'll see you on the other side. Okay, welcome back. So, we're going to talk about Mad Men, the suitcase, one of my selections for my Mount Rushmore of all-time great television episodes um this one is on a lot of other people's lists i've seen whatever that's worth uh but i i think it's pretty great to remind you uh, presuming you have um, seen it um this focuses on don and peggy really um there's some other stuff that occurs uh on the margins um and at the beginning before we finally kind of spend most of the episode um between don and peggy they're working on the samsonite account right thus the titular suitcase 
I guess, is the Samsonite suitcase. Um, and in the background of this, it's May 25th, 1965. One of the things I always loved about Mad Men was how good they were at working in some of these historical details. And um, I actually used to read um, Gothamist, this publication in New York City, would put out uh, articles fact-checking the history of Mad Men. They had aligned the New York Public Library. And uh, over the course of Mad Men, they got virtually everything right. Oh, wow. Give or take a little cake box that was the wrong color. <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> uh, the, the God was like, that would not have been pink. Like, uh, as you know, that's later. I'm sorry. That's a spoiler for later in this in the series. Uh, oh, um, now it's ruined. No, but uh, here it's May 25th, 1965, the night of the second fight between uh, Muhammad Ali, often referred to in the episode as Cassius Clay. Read into that, I think, meaningfully in terms of the characters and what's yeah. about them. And uh, Sonny Liston, you know. Um, so, I mean, they, I don't know, a number of things I want to hit here, on here. But again, this was my choice. So I guess uh, I'm going to kick it to you, Ryan. I mean, how do you feel about the episode? How did it land for you? Yeah, so I, I did really enjoy this this episode. And and my, just to refresh my background with Mad Men is, I had finished not long after real time. I'd finished about two and a half seasons of Mad Men. I can't remember the circumstances that led me to, to fall off from it, but I've not picked it up since. So, you know, coming in, I'm familiar with the characters, familiar with sort of the the theme of the show and the backdrop of the show, but, you know, have no, nothing in terms of actual lead up context to this episode told you before we got on here was able to follow it just fine because it's really great our standalone episode and some of the um character references some of the character exploration and some of the stories that are there and i love the backdrop of the boxing match or how it relates to the story but i was curious to ask you you know having seen some of these episodes not all of them what is it about this one that makes it your favorite out of the out of the series Oh, man. Well, I mean, I guess it's just that I think that um, in a really meaningful way, the relationship between Tan and Peggy mm -hmm. is is central to Mad Men. Um, it's not a romantic relationship, it's, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a professional relationship, but it's also a personal relationship. It's nuanced. It's complicated. Um you know, he, he he did kind of give her a shot to write advertising. Um, yeah. She starts out the series as a secretary, right? Um, but on the other hand, I don't know. He doesn't always treat her well. This is like quintessential, I think, to their dynamic is yeah. what you get here. And if you did take it forward to the end of the series, which I said I won't do, <laughs> I think I think there's a real, a real way in which um you know that relationship structures the show and i mean I, I guess i also think one of the things that really comes out in this episode is how how deeply flawed down draper is mm. um you know particularly when you start out the series potentially you could be like oh man don draper he's slick yeah you know? he's got everything um slick and smoking his cigarettes and you know <laughs> men want to be him and women want to be with him you know yeah. but no i mean he's he's deeply flawed and he's a bit of an asshole yeah honestly and but like 
the the fact that he is that and then and then also charming and the the complexity of his character and i think also the complexity of peggy's character and then the interactions between them i mean this episode is kind of small there's some other scenes around it but a lot of it is in just the dialogue between don and peggy and um so i, I, was, not, I was going to that. ask you what i recall again this is years ago but i recall Obviously, they had a relationship, Don and Peggy did, in the first couple of seasons that grew out of a professional, uh, you know, sort of their professional time together. But it seems to me that Peggy had much closer relationships with others. Like Pete, obviously, she had the, I remember the storyline where she had the baby, right? She's trying to cover that up. Did the relationship between Don and Peggy, has it grown some days since the first two seasons to now? And I guess this may relate to a subsequent question, which is, this is this was unfamiliar to me because this is not Sterling Cooper, right? This is not the first two or three seasons at agency. So something has clearly changed, right? Maybe that's affected that that the dynamic of their professional and their personal relationship. Yeah, I mean, we can hit on that. I don't know if it's uh, super important by this point. It's Sterling Cooper Draper Price. Okay, uh, and I think that's the end of season three when they pull off their um, kind of. Takeover move. I see. Okay. They were gonna. They were gonna get. I forget all the details here, but it was like they were gonna get bought out, and um, then they. You know, oh, it turns out Don doesn't have a non-compete clause. Okay. <laughs> I forget all the details. The stuff with Duck. There was some stuff that 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 fit into uh, in in the background too, because Duck used to work there, and I mean he he made a power play. <clears throat> yes. On the other side of that business move as i recall um so so yeah but i think the the more important thing to this episode in terms of what you're asking with with don and peggy i mean yeah i think their their relationship grows and develops um but let's go back to one of the things you mentioned because it does get a call back in this episode in a very naturalistic way mm-hmm. um which is peggy had an abortion yeah and Dawn was the only one who went to go see her afterwards. Yes. Right. But she mentions here that because of that, her mother thinks that he must have been the one who got her pregnant and hates him. Right. Yes. 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 Um, but we're not clearing this up. You know what I mean? <laughs> for for all you know, all these mores surrounding it and all of that. And Don doesn't even know that it was Pete. I see. Okay. Right. I think that's kind of evident in the scene. He says, do you know who it was? She said, of course I do. Right. Yeah. But part of what I love about their relationship is there is a level at which for all his flaws, Don gets it as it were, if that makes sense. Right. And mm-hmm. he doesn't do things like ask, well, who was it? Yeah. No, that, that that's none of his business. Yeah. He understands yeah. that's none of his business. Right. When, um, duck shows up and he's all drunk and he's like (laughs) peggy i can't live without you baby and all of that peggy comes back into the room and she's like i don't know why i hooked up with him you know and don's like don't apologize you don't have to explain anything yeah again again, this is like sort of it's not um there's a way in which which don approaches a number of things very much without judgment you know yeah. um and so even though 
there's something fraught about their dynamic. I think there's also a level at which they connect with one another, you know, and Don is willing to give Peggy a chance, but he believes in her as a creative talent also. You know, I think this is one of the notes. How did they put Yeah. One of the notes that I make is that he does know her and he respects her, but he doesn't express it. Yeah. Right? So you, well, you, know, you get the famous line, that's what the money's for. <laughs> so I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that scene because I I completely agree. It seems as though he's got a tremendous level of personal and professional respect for her. Clearly, he's put her maybe in a time or in a decade where there was a lot of professional sexism and she would have normally not gotten that opportunity. He's put her at the level of some of these other guys that are running these ad, these ad campaigns. But is that conversation where he's just really trying to drill into her what you know she needs to be pushing herself, working harder, you do this for the money, is that sort of a... I think you can be better, or is that more of a you need to understand your place in this in this hierarchy? I mean, I think it's to me, it's important to get how Don is wrong. I mean, he's he, or he's not wrong, but he's being an asshole. Yeah, you know um, that she she's saying <clears throat> she has these ideas. Um, he never expresses appreciation. He never says thank you. Right. And he yells, yep. that's what the money's for. And this is part of what I think is interesting is that kind of seeps out of the world and gets in meme context and things like this. But mm-hmm. in the context of the episode, that is him being like devastatingly mean. You know? Um and I think I think right after that she had stormed, that's when she stormed out of the room, I think. Yes. Yes. You know? Um, but, she, but she doesn't. So this is what I didn't understand. And maybe there's again other dynamics play here. Even after that, she doesn't leave to go to this dinner. I guess it's her boyfriend is set up for her. So there's something there that keeps her drawn to Don. And like you said, it's not a romantic thing. It's not a. It's not something like that. It's more of a. I don't know devotion to the belief of what they're doing. Yeah, you know, just we're trying to figure out what's that. What's that motivation there? Yeah, I mean it, it's. Um... It's about it's about the work, it's believing yeah. in the work, you know. And I think that they share that, which is, you know, we're in the context of creating advertisements, which, yeah, at a step of remove, I don't know what I would say about. But there is this question about the the creativity behind it, and uh, I think that's a big thing at play here. You know, at one point, I think when they're in the diner, that he says something like, "She can't." She's get tired and she can't she can't uh, figure out the difference between a good idea and an awful one anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think Don goes, well, they're very close. Yeah, very close. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a belief in you know. And when he yells at her, it's like, well, you maybe you were working all day, but you didn't give me anything good. You work for ten seconds if you give me something good. There's there's this real belief in the creativity, and when you hit the right idea, you know it when you see it, and all of that's at play. You know, in the context of of advertising, I think they do connect at that on that level. Like Becky believes that too. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like in the end, when he finally does land on an idea, she's the one that he trusts to take it and sort of let's let's polish this up and and, and finish it. And, and maybe I have the wrong the wrong read on that, but you know, it's almost like we fought this battle together. You're going to be the one to help us take this over the finish line. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's also partly her job, 
I see. You yeah. know, um, like Dawn is the head of creative, and then she is the head of the Samsonite team. Yeah. Um, so last, last, my last question to her, she was a copywriter, right? She she was the the words person. So I, I assume that's sort of her primary role still to this day. Um, I don't recall exactly where we're at, but I I, I believe at this point she's she's above that. Like okay. when you see these scenes with her and the guys, yep, she's in charge. She's in charge. Yeah, and then I noticed that that, that when I think it's when Duck presents her with a little gift, and he's got a business card. I guess he's trying to entice her with this card that lists her as the creative director. I guess giving her more responsibility than she has as now. Yeah, I mean that that's offering to make her dawn. That's offering yeah. to, her, to give her Don's job at this agency that he's fantasizing about creating. What do you think of that scene? The, 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 the like quick downhill arc of Duck in that scene. This is also really striking to me. He yeah. starts out really confident, and then he's just. I, I that was the one. Th- I, well, I'd say there were many scenes where I wish I had a little bit more context, but there was that was one where I thought, man, I really wish I understood what the background was between Duck. And Peggy, because he's a, I mean, a sloppy drunk mess, just thinking about the prospect of needing to get her, her back. Or what has happened between the two of them to put them both in this, in this place? I mean, as I recall, they just, they just kind of hooked up one time. They, they okay. had, a, they had a little dalliance. They had a little affair. You know what no, I mean? If it wasn't like a big thing, and then, and then it's really Duck being obsessive I more see. than anything, you know. And clearly, he's not in a good place, you know. He's getting drunk. He's like pinning his hopes of salvation on Peggy, you know. And and that's another, I think, running dynamic in this episode is, is how the various men around her are viewing Peggy. Mm. And including um, Mark, her boyfriend, who she breaks yeah. up with ultimately. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, the, all of them, it's not that Don's perfect because... There are more problems I want to talk about in terms of, you know, some of these dynamics between her and Don, but um, he knows her and in a way that all these other people keep showing her, they don't know her. I see. You know, like, let's jump to the thing with Mark. I mean, the, the, the man has a point. What are you doing? You're staying late at work. Can't you just tell him that it's your birthday and that you have mm. have to go, you know? Um, maybe she could have, but I think the the biggest thing in her mind ends up being that he arranged the surprise dinner with her mother and her sister, like her family and everything. <laughs> and she thought she was going to a romantic dinner. Yeah. Know? So he yeah. doesn't know me. It, it What was striking to me about their relationship in particular is you know, I don't know what to equate it to, you know, whether a, a you know, husband and wife or, or more parental relationship, but it's one of these things where they're, they seem to be so strong or have such a connection that no matter what they say to one another, no matter what happens, no matter what conflict comes up, they have the ability to quickly be able to rise above that and say, our relationship, no matter what it is, is stronger than any, any of this stuff. Our relationship has moved beyond just a weak we care or don't care what you're doing professionally uh, to the point where, as you said earlier, he's got this 
protection mechanism for Peggy that kicks in, right? When, when duck comes by, he's got this thing that kicks in that says, no matter what, I'm going to take care of you. Even if it seems like, you know, I'm may not, and may not be handling you in the right way. When it's just you and I, that they have, he has a very, I can't tell if it's parental instinct, whether it's like, like a older brother, younger sister thing, but he's really got this instinct where he's got to take care of her. Yeah. He throws the drunken punch. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that gets pretty, the better. Pretty bad. <laughs> the, the, the drunken, drunken fight, such as it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Duck definitely gets the better of him. He's in, he makes him say uncle. Um, but yeah, I mean, then uh, you know, at the end of the episode, when um, Don's saying, "Well, there's another thing to tie in here," he's sort of l- lamenting that no one really knows him, you know. Peggy basically says that she does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, that's totally you know paraphrasing the the dialogue because in the background is the whole thing with Anna. Um, this is um, Anna Draper. Okay, so this is all this this was my biggest question that I had for you was sort of what is the the context or background here? I, I am not familiar with this character who's talked to on the phone or who Anna Draper is. Um, I'll need some kind of some kind of history on that. Okay, so I mean, I don't know. I, I don't remember exactly when various things happen, but um, do you recall? So Don Draper is Dick Whitman. Okay, and he stole the identity of Don Draper when he came back from Korea. Do you recall this? You just, you know, I this is you're bringing back some some memories. So yes, okay. I, I am recalling. It's, it, it's largely in the background. The, okay, this whole okay. storyline, right? We ultimately find out. So he comes back <clears throat> and he's assumed the identity of Don Draper, who was a real person who he saw die in Korea. And Anna Draper was Don Draper's wife, not Dick Whitman's wife, Don Draper's wife, the one who died in Korea. Okay. And she ultimately tracked him down and um, they established this, this friendship, this relationship. And they stayed married, um, but they weren't, it wasn't a romantic relationship. This is like deep, meaningful friendship, okay. basically. Uh, and then I believe they got divorced when Don was going to marry Betty. And then that was okay. And Anna Draper's out there in California, right? Um, and I guess I think it was previous in the season when um, Don found out that. She was dying of cancer. Okay. And um, her niece, Stephanie, is the one on the phone. Okay. At the end end of the episode. So basically, in terms of what goes on here in the suitcase, when Don gets the message that Stephanie is called from California and it's urgent, he knows what that means. Yeah. And, um, but he doesn't call her back until like the next morning and by that point anna has uh has died and so even even as someone that didn't have a lot of that background or understand what the relationship was there it, it seemed pretty clear to me that he, he's him not returning that call and then hearing what the reason was for not returning that call he just in many ways is not wanting to face his own mortality his own sense of having to reflect who he has been, what he's done. I presume 
without having a lot of the background that something has has happened between him and Betty at this point. Um, it did not seem that she is in the picture at all. And so he's having to come to grips with who he's been, what he's done, the things that he's been a part of in the, in his past is what he's doing important enough or enough of a thing where he can reflect on on who he has been and is that why he is then pouring into people like Peggy so that he can give more meaning to what he's doing as opposed to just creating ads yeah well and it's also when he says that um Anna was the only person who really knew him mm-hmm. there is one level at which that is literally true because all that Dick Whitman stuff I was talking yeah. about, right? Like yeah. the person in the world who knew all of that stuff, she's died. I um, see. You know, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I still think I'm curious how, you know, if you were lacking that context as you watched it, how effective it was anyway. I mean, I take it you do get the fact that someone close to him has died, you know, yes. the kind of apparition, the vision that he has and so on. Um, that he's down to Draper breaks down in tears. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I did make the connection that whoever it was that appeared to him with the suitcase and the vision or when he was passed out was the person who, that wasn't the person who was on the phone. So that must've been the person who, who passed away. Um, and that, you know, whether I know who that person was or not, it was clearly someone important to him and it's so important that he just couldn't face the reality of that um but also a sense of is he still someone in the middle of this fourth season that finds that he needs to get the solution to the samsonite problem first before he deals with those personal things is that the priorities in his life or is that what we're led to believe with you know with who don is here now three and a half seasons in i mean i don't i wouldn't put it that way I think yes, but I wouldn't put it that way. It's an obsessiveness. Yeah. You know, it's like it's what's at play when Peggy says something like, you know, it's not my fault you don't have anyone to, you know, anywhere else to be or anything else in your life, you know. Yeah. And it, it like that that Dawn is is obsessively focusing on this, mm-hmm. I think, in part to avoid, to ignore yeah. the um I don't even know what word to use. But, you know, he he doesn't want to confront the death and this death. Yes. It's very clear, right? Like, what should Don Draper have done on this day? Like, what should he have done? It's, it's like, it's pretty clear. He mm-hmm. gets the message from Ida that Stephanie has called. He goes back into his office. He calls Stephanie up. Is Anna still alive at that point? Does she want to say goodbye? I don't know. Yeah. Right, Stephanie. So, like, don't worry about it. But she's she's very kind. Um, you know. So you think, what should he have done? He should have made that phone call, and then he should have gone to dinner with Roger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, gone to the fight, and and all of that. And 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 it's like he is not doing that. So yeah, I think we can think about why is he not doing that. And instead, obsessively working on the Samsonite account, which Roger points yeah. out, he has two more weeks on <laughs> and getting completely wasted. Yeah. You know, and holding up Peggy from, from her plans, you know, yeah. uh, and, and all of that. And I think it is 
to relate it back to something you were saying, there's a, an attempt on Don's part to find meaning in this work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, and, I do. I do think I understand or have been informed in enough of the show to know that there is some sort of redemptive art coming for Don. I may have that completely wrong, but at least that's what I understand about uh, about the show. But at least here in the seventh episode of season four he is still putting up the walls of work and drink and avoidance that defines sort of who he is, despite the fact that all these things, I'm assuming his family, Anna Draper, you know, all these other, all these other things are crumbling around him, right? It just seems to me that that's what's, what's taking place, whether or not that's true um, and where it goes from here. I'm not sure, but that's, you know, kind of the, um, the sense that I'm getting. No, I think that's on the right track. Yeah. I, 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 and at risk of breaking my promise, I don't really <laughs> think there's a redemptive arc. But okay. we take away again. I promise, I, I promise explicitly not to talk about the <laughs> finale of the series. Okay. How do you do it? Attempting me to go right, right to it. Okay. Um, a couple other things I wanted to know. I don't know if uh, you have any thoughts about this, but I thought it was very interesting how throughout the episode Don is rooting for Sonny Liston mm. he says he doesn't like Muhammad Ali he says <laughs> if you're the greatest you don't have to say it yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. like he, he he doesn't like his whole thing but the idea he comes up with at the end puts Samsonite in the position of Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. in the famous photograph of him standing over Sonny Liston because he thinks this is a good idea. This works. And, and he's rooting for, as I understand it, and I did read, go back and read a little bit about this fight. He's rooting for someone who their career wasn't over after this fight, but for all intents and purposes, it was over after this, after this fight, right? That he's rooting for the one that is going to fall to this great thing, fall to this thing that's much better, much more, um, would end up being much more accomplished and just kind of hanging on to something that um would not last much much longer and... right yeah that's the see that's the thing right and mm-hmm. i think you get this dynamic with don very often he you could set up uh, listen versus ali as kind of tradition versus mm-hmm. the new yep this is a lot of what mad ben's about man in the <clears throat> 1960s you know yep. man, that kind of tension and it's another instance where don is on the side of <laughs> tradition yeah you know I, I, as I recall, I think he voted for Nixon in 1960. You know, it's like he's, and, and, but he's more than willing to co opt um, the new. You know, he's yeah. ultimately willing to co opt Ali yeah. for the sake of the advertisement. And this is where I will just say very obliquely, I promise to not mention the finale, but. If you're following me and you've seen it, maybe you can fill it in for yourself. What I would say uh, <laughs> about the about the way that Mad Mad Ed's uh, kind of picking up uh, from this point. Um, yeah, I did. I did like the undercurrent of the fight. I mean, obviously, this is a, a incredibly famous fight. The, the, what we see there at the end of the episode with him holding the newspaper, probably the most iconic sports photo ever taken. Um, you know, with Ali standing over Liston, um, telling him, yelling at him to to get up, and then using that to finally 
sort of flip the switch of what he wants to do with this with this ad but it just yeah it just it created some interesting parallel between what they're trying to do and what happened at this this fight even though apparently this fight was like a minute and a half long well there's controversy about it too yeah lots right? of controversy lots of controversy about the count and the sh- and the phantom punch <clears throat> like people didn't see the punch yeah that supposedly knocked liston out and there were yeah i mean people can look into this on their own um one more thing i want to tie that into though in relation to don and peggy is how you know the initial idea they present is joe namath and don mm-hmm. says endorsements are lazy <laughs> well don you're not super far away with this ali idea <laughs> yeah you know um and also when uh he presents the lv idea peggy's sort of thing like how do you put this on tv and things like that yeah and um don's like why are you shitting on this <laughs> well don you that's what you were doing earlier yeah. right so like it should be fair on the one hand but on the other that's not what the power dynamic is mm-hmm. and that's part of the ongoing tension you know that that's structuring their relationship I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um I, I, I did it and again bring it back to the, the 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 match. Just this reading about this match prompted me to read more about for what boxing was like in the nineteen sixties, and it just defined by chaos, corruption, um, you know, people fixing things and, and throwing fights and just there was no you know, you may have these things that set up, well, we're gonna have a world heavyweight title fight but really everything surrounding it was just just so much chaos so much disruption that you you never knew if this was actually real or something that was not real um and yeah i mean just sort of a, a backdrop for what what are the what are the things that are real and not real for don what does he actually care about what does peggy actually care about right well they seem to care yeah. about each other they seem to care about the work yeah well and you're making me think of i don't know if i can quite bring this out you see me think of something you know when they're in the bar let's go someplace darker i love that <laughs> line uh, but when they're in the bar they're listening to the fight on the radio yes and you know then after it's called people are like what no he didn't you know that questioning it and don says something like that's what the man said right yeah. ellie won that that's what the man said like there's a way in which uh, I think um, that ties into how Don ultimately kind of respects authority in a certain way mm-hmm. and embraces his own authority. Like when it comes down to it at a certain point, it's that's what the man said. Mm-hmm. Right? And with his own idea for the Samsonite ad, he's the boss. Yes. Right. And he's decided it's good. Yep. And Let's take the win, Peggy. Right. Let, 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 let's move forward. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I do think this is just a great episode of television. Yeah. It, it was. It, it was really fan- fantastic. I, I found myself being reminded by how well the people in this show act like they are actually living in the '60s in terms of mannerisms and language and things like that. I was shocked a little bit when I was reminding of some of the kind of overt racism like so i was struck by that but just the as you talked about at the beginning the, the authenticity of the of the show and then combine the authenticity with 
really just sort of strong development of, of what these characters seem to be and how they seem to care about each other. I just, I, I found it to be quite good, even without all the context. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it throws in, it's like casual racism. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess it fits in the historical context. One thing I will say about the show in general is I, I feel like it, 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 it got subtler about that for the most part in a way I really appreciate yeah. where if you go back and you watch the pilot, it I, it does feel a little bit too like it's beating you over the head mm. with like remember it's 1960 we're gonna yeah. remind you and like this is you know anyhow um yeah yeah it's a great show i mean watching this kind of makes me want to uh engage on another uh mad men rewatch myself i don't know if i'll find time for that but uh yeah i i am probably now going to i was very inspired by this probably going to now pick up where I left off and and finish this up now that I've seen it. So it's, it's, uh, it's inspired me to do so. Definitely worth it. And you know, it occurs to me. So you want uh, next week, we're going to go back to uh, Ryan's selection and you have chosen breaking bad for next week. Is that correct? Breaking bad. Yeah. So another um, interesting working relationship between two people. We'll look at uh, breaking bad season five, episode 14, Ozymandias. This is the not the penultimate. This is the second to last episode, third to last episode before the finale um, of that series. Uh, uh, yeah, very right. critically acclaimed episode. I mean, this is as you said, kind of like suitcases on a lot of best of lists. Um, yeah, I know which episode this is. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. Wa- yeah. I haven't watched Breaking Bad since um, since it ended. It's been on my list as something I should revisit. So I am really curious to um, to revisit this episode with you next week. Yeah, that'll be this is, a good time. This is one that sticks with you for a lot of ways. There's uh it is heavy, heavy, heavy. Um, so yeah, so next week we're gonna get into that. We've got what six more weeks of this to go before we pick up in the end of November with Fargo. Um, so all right, so yeah, so next week, Breaking Bad season five, episode 14, Ozymandias. We will dissect that. And I mean, at that point, you might as well just look at the whole the whole series when there's only two episodes after this so uh we're we're waiting to finish the show finish it before before i I, i've seen breaking bad so we're going again to something we've both seen and then probably the following week it'll be again like something i chose that ryan hasn't seen also it occurs to me you know this is another amc show mad men's an amc show and then breaking bad's an amc show and um we I think I think we're gonna have another AMC show on here before we're we done. Speaking for yeah. myself, and um, what what's on AMC now? Walking Dead, Walking yeah, Dead th- prequels, thirteen Walking... De- thirteen Walking Dead shows. I guess I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I hate the golden age of AMC. Yeah. Who again? Props to AMC. They took a chance on Mad Men, right? Absolutely. My understanding of the backstory here is that they were pitching this show all over the place. And yes. AMC was the only one who would make it. So same same with same with Breaking Bad. I think Breaking Bad got turned down a few places before AMC picked it up. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that's true. Yeah, that's true. Good, good for them. So yeah, we'll hit take that next chances, week. television networks. Take yes. chances yes. on on creative um, projects, and you'll end up on <laughs> the TV obsessive. Janice faced Mount Rushmore. That's right. This is a worthy reward. Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> who who could ask for who could ask for anything more? Um, all right. We are located at tvobsessive.com. You can find both of our works there on the on the site. You can find tvobsessive.com on all sorts of 
on all sorts of uh, social media, except for threads, Cameron is fond of pointing out. No threads. Did Don't you see that like there. big brands have abandoned threads? Like have the NFL really? is not posting on threads. Oh, okay. No, I've not uh-huh. seen this. I mean, see, I haven't been I'm on, on the threads since I, know, I signed dude, up for threads it. Is, threads is, you know, it's just Betamax. It's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> just Betamax, yeah. All right. Well, we're on Twitter or X or whatever that thing is called right now. It's at Cameron CC. You got to spell it right. Uh, I'm at Cable Box Score. This podcast is located anywhere that you'd want to find them. Uh, we encourage you to give it a listen, obviously. Uh, rate and review us. Give us the five star. Give us everything. Tell your friends. We appreciate you listening. Next week, we'll be back talking about Breaking Bad. All right. Sounds good. See you next week, Ryan. See you then.